Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Today, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, is looking at how the masses are being groomed to embrace the unthinkable, while the leaders of organized religion make a deal with the devil. Worldwide pandemic, lockdowns, riots, political unrest, vaccinations, the mark of the beast, and the sleeping church. It has certainly been a difficult year and a half. What's going on? Well, the Apostle Paul does write, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Is there something really devilish going on, or are we just seeing blind history unfolding in a rather haphazard manner? Allie Henson is our guest. She and Donna Howell have written a new book titled Dark Covenant, How the Masses Are Being Groomed to Embrace the Unthinkable While the Leaders of Organized Religion Make a Deal with the Devil. Hi, Allie. Thank you so much for being on the show. Once again, you've been a regular guest, and we certainly appreciate you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here, honestly. Well, Allie, I know you're a careful researcher. You've done a lot of research, a lot of work. Are the masses really being groomed to embrace the unthinkable? I mean, that's a tremendously ominous statement. (laughs) It's a provocative thing to say. People don't like being told that they are being conditioned, and I certainly don't mean to seem like I'm coming on the attack when I say it, but I do believe that we are being conditioned, and I feel like in different ways I've observed it over the years, and I just think that when you look at the way the population has changed across the decades and the way the narrative put out by the media and everything else has carved a lot of that public acceptance of the change and what's right and wrong and what will be tolerated and just all these different ways that the public as a whole has swayed, I do believe we're being conditioned. I believe we're being conditioned to accept heightened levels of depravity and sin up to and including the mark of the beast, but also all of those unthinkable and unspeakable milestones along the way that we previously said we would never tolerate and then yet eventually we get there. And that's done by conditioning. People don't just suddenly accept something they wouldn't have previously accepted. That's a conditioned response that has to be swayed by an influencing power. Well, I think you're absolutely right, because I came to Southwest Radio Church in 1998, and things that are happening today, I thought I would never see in this life, but they're staring us in the face, and it's even getting worse. So I think this downward plunge is very real, very evident, and even people who do not know the prophetic word are saying things like, doesn't the Bible say something like this? Isn't this prophetic? And I think when the average man on the street starts making remarks like that, something must be going on. Now, the sad part, there are many church members who don't even realize it. But tell our listeners about your 1998 dream when you were 23 years old and how it has been very prophetic of the year 2021. In fact, when I read that passage in your book, I said, wow, this is amazing. So share that with our listeners. It wasn't specific only to the year of 2020 and 2021. It was enlightening me of something to watch across the years, which I saw kind of really blow up in 2020, but I've seen it other times since then. You know, before I can even talk about the dream, I have to explain that I was raised in the church. I was a pastor's kid. So, yes, I'm in my early 20s, and I know Jesus loves me, and I know that, you know, if you follow him and you take him as your Lord and your Savior, then you will go to heaven. I I understood these basic principles of Christianity and stuff like that, but I had also been raised in church, and so I had heard it my whole life, and I just 
just was living my young adult life. I wasn't following it in the religious, political, socio-cultural realms. I wasn't following those realms. I had heard it my whole life. I'd kind of honestly grown to take it for granted, like some young adults raised in church do. And so for me, I'm just living my young adult life. I'm thinking about just young adult stuff. I'm not watching the climate of the political world around me at the time. And so I had this dream, and there have been several times in my life that God has given me a dream, and they're different from my regular dreams. And when I wake up, I understand immediately what they mean. Like, they come with a meaning. The minute I wake up, I know what they mean. Sometimes I've been warned about certain people in dreams. Sometimes I've been warned about events that would happen. I mean, this particular dream... The government has sent out this mandate that all citizens attend these local meetings that they're holding in every town. And the meeting is, basically, they've brought this little portable building. It's kind of like what you would see a funhouse set up in a carnival. And they bring us in and they sit us down and they're telling us that the government, the military, is going to unveil its new super weapon. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is really strange. The government doesn't put on portable meetings that they take from town to town, that they mandate all the citizens attend. That's weird. It doesn't happen. And they sure don't unveil their super weapon to all the lay people. These are highly confidential matters. And so right away, to me, something was hinky. And so I'm looking at this thing, and they're talking in these tones like this. Everything they say, isn't this so exciting? We have this new super weapon. And I'm just thinking, this is weird. But everybody around me is going, ooh, this is great. Look at this. Wow, you know. So the nutshell is the building is kind of a little tour where you go into the first room and you sit in there saying, ladies and gentlemen, we give you, the name of the weapon was the splicer. Now, I understand that in our year right now, that's the most predictable name in the world, but this was 1998. Nobody was saying the word splicer unless they were splicing like film. I mean, we were still taking our film out of our cameras and taking it to places and having it developed. We didn't have all this digital stuff. Splicing wasn't a term that we were really using much. Certainly me, not in my young adult life. I wasn't doing any splicing of anything or thinking about splicing. And I wasn't a fan of horror movies or sci-fi movies, so I didn't pick this terminology up somewhere. So they're telling us all about the splicer. They take us into the next room, and it's funny. We have to get in these little carts that kind of drive around the building, and there's kind of this audio tour going on. And you go into one room, and they say, this scientist contributed this feature to the splicer. This scientist contributed this, and you're seeing pictures of the people and the lab development and the phases of how this thing came to be. And then we round a corner, and we're in a room with some of these actual – they brought them with them, and they're in a cage – And I remember in my dream immediately going, I hope this cage is built with more integrity than this building, because this building is a collapsible little (laughs) building being hinged together in the corners. This is a mess. So I'm looking, and these things are charging at the front cage. And the way this weapon works is it triggers on a scent output from a person. We each have an individual scent. And these things, once they have been given a scent cue, they will relentlessly chase this particular person or being until they kill it, eliminating that scent cue, and then they find their way back to headquarters for another scent cue. Basically, the military can kill them, but they're so strong that a person can't. Our guns are no use against them. So then, in my dream, we hear this woo-woo-woo, like the whirring comes down, and it stops. And then they're taking us all into this other room, and they're being very professional. And they're saying, come with us, come with us, come with us. And they sit us all in this room, and they say, ladies and gentlemen, there's been a problem. Two of our splicers have escaped, and because they've left their cage, that means they've triggered on a scent cue. So at least two of you, possibly more, are in danger. 
And because you're a citizen and you're not part of the military, you can't fight these things, you can't kill them. Two of you at least are going to die. This is inevitable. And everybody's looking around all scared, and I'm sitting here going, this is crazy. This whole thing is just crazy. And then all of a sudden they say, but fortunately we anticipated this problem and we have come prepared. And so then they bring in this little cart filled with syringes, and I want to really quickly deviate and say that this is not as it pertains specifically to the COVID-19 vaccine. This is not a dream about the vaccine. This is a dream about something else, which I'll explain in a minute. But this little professional girl wearing a lab coat comes in wheeling this little stainless steel cart filled with syringes, and they said, again, ladies and gentlemen, I give you smart DNA. Now, again, this is the 90s. We're not talking about smartphones, smart houses, smart cities, smart TVs. That came later. I didn't, you know, there was nothing. We weren't doing smart things back then. This is smart DNA, and it's an inoculation that when you're injected with it, it will alter your DNA just enough that you will have a different scent cue output. And when the splicer hunting you realizes that that scent cue no longer exists, it will disengage and go back to headquarters and look for another cue, and that will render this entire population safe. So before everybody's allowed to leave, they've got to take this inoculation that will alter the scent output of your body, and then that will guarantee that all of you are allowed to safely leave. There's too much plot in this dream that I could have never thought of, and it became really ironic as things progressed over the next couple of decades. But I remember the last few things happening in the dream as I was going, hold on, everybody's walking toward this cart lining up for their inoculation, and I'm going, hold on, everybody. Do you not see that this was a setup? Do you not see they brought you here to take whatever is in that shot? This was never about unveiling a super weapon. This is all a side ploy, and nobody was getting it. And I woke up thinking there's a narrative that is carved and fed to the public that's used to incite a certain response of basically compliance to whatever the people in power want to see the public do. And if they don't accept it, they will change that narrative and reinvent that narrative until people accept what they're wanted to accept or what they're wanted to do. And I just have watched people's response to headlines, to different things like that that I've seen happen. And over time and time again, I've watched it happen that the public will initially reject something and then it will be introduced as the solution to a problem or as a better idea because of this other thing or it will be romanticized and brought into sympathy and then it's accepted. But over and over and over, I've watched this happen where the public embraces something that they wouldn't have otherwise embraced because the conditions around it were ramped up to the point that it became the better option than standing where they were before. I'm thinking of Rahm Emanuel, who said, never pass up a good crisis. It gives you opportunities to do what you could never do. In other words, we're being manipulated. We're being pulled around by a ring through our noses, in effect. Tell us a little bit about some of the manipulation tactics that go unnoticed. You mentioned conditioning, shaping, selective exposure, create a problem and present a solution. You just mentioned that. And talk about gaslighting. That is so important. Each of these tactics, they occur in relationships. So in the book, Dark Covenant, we talked about how they play out in the population at large. We also talked about 
how they play out in relationships because I truly believe that what happens in the home is happening in society. Yeah. And if we can learn to watch for it even in our lives, we start getting better at spotting it out in society. And we can change society by changing our homes, you know, if there are enough of us on the same page. We talked about both angles of each of these things. Conditioning is basically where you inundate a setting with so much of something that people become desensitized to it. It's a very basic principle of manipulation, and shaping is kind of how you reinforce a person's response to that. So in the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a Betty Davis movie. She's going to say an expletive, and in order to keep it from being too offensive, because they did not tolerate that back then, they organized a buzzer to happen right over her voice so that all she would have to do is mouth the word because speaking the word would have been too offensive. And so slowly, society becomes conditioned to more and more language in stuff, and then we tolerate a little bit more violence, and now there's some nudity, and now that nudity becomes more sexual in nature. And now we fast forward to right now, there are television series marketed toward our children. I've got one particular one in mind, and it looks like it's a comic book show, but if you watch it, there is actual pornography happening in the background, and it is being shown on the screen. Not all of it is heterosexual. There's all kinds the pornographic stuff that goes on. And so by watching this TV series, these children are actually also watching porn. And how's a parent supposed to know if they're working full-time and they are not made aware of this? They walk through and say, so, you know, what are you watching? Oh, I'm watching a show about comic book kids. Oh, that's good. No, they're not. They're watching pornography, and even they don't realize it. So this is conditioning and shaping in society. Gaslighting It's a big one, and it's the most covert of all of them because it kind of works on making you doubt your own reality. But gaslighting is basically when the truth has become so twisted around that a person can't tell what's real and what's not anymore. Oh, wow. That is so important. Develop that whole thought of gaslighting because it's so effective and people are being exposed to it. It really is. How often do we read headlines and we don't know if they're true? Or we figure they're probably true, but they're only covering half the truth. We vote for politicians that we know are probably lying to us, but we're (laughs) trying to pick the guy that lied the least, or at least promises to vote on the policy we agree with. I mean, we have gotten to the point where we are so used to everybody telling us things that aren't true that what we're trying to do is honestly survive by picking the least of all the evils, and we're in survival mode. That's because we are gaslit all the time. We know that our teachers lie to us. We know that there are preachers that lie to us. Our politicians do. I mean, every single responsible and even the irresponsible adults who are trying to navigate society on any level are very aware of the fact that they are being lied to on some level, and they're just trying to navigate with the greatest wariness that they can. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. One of the things that poured cold water down my neck was the indictment of the McCloskeys. We remember that couple in St. Louis, and you touch on it. You say the transition from the government's job as protecting honest citizens from criminals to protecting criminals from honest citizens. I mean, I saw the footage. The man had a rifle. The wife had a handgun. I don't think Mr. McCloskey was pointing at anybody. He was just trying to protect his property, and yet he's the criminal. Our whole society, our sense of right and wrong is just upside down. 
Well, that's a product of gaslighting. We get yeah. to the point where we're not sure what's true anymore. And postmodernism is a part of this, too. You know, everybody gets to interpret their own truth. What's true for me? And if I don't like what you're saying is true, then I can find someone else who's going to tell me a truth that I do like. But the thing is, you, what you have is people who were on their property when protesters came through their gate and got on their property. And they came out, and yeah, they brandished weapons. Their statement is that they felt compelled to protect their property. Right. And before it was all over, they were indicted for tampering with evidence, which I didn't go back and read on it after more was released. There might be new information. But if I remember correctly, it had to do with the fact that one of them, the trigger had been changed, or there was some modification or something like that on one of the guns. But if I'm a property owner, when I'm living in a major city, you know, like St. Louis, and people who are protesting, and I'm aware there have been riots and some of them have turned violent, people come on my property and protest in my front yard, and I feel threatened. This is America. When did protecting my property mean that I could get indicted? It reminds me of something my granny used to say, this doesn't make good nonsense. What's so tragic about that, the police were in the process of being defunded, and there were situations where people called 911 because they had an emergency, and no one answered because there was no one there. And yet this man is trying yeah. to protect his property with his wife, and it's in a context of riots, burning, actions, people being beat up, and he's wrong, according to them. Right. We also live in a time where a lot of the areas that showed more of the increasing violence, these were areas where a lot of the regulations on things like owning guns are tighter. So you have populations where they've been more largely de-weaponized and more weapons are held by the people who own them illegally than legally. How are they supposed to protect themselves if the police are also defunded? They've got nowhere to turn. Right. Right. You know, it seems to me that we are in a position of extreme polarization in our country. Do you think we're in the embryonic state of an armed insurgency? I mean, I'm really concerned about this. Well, I am too. <laughs> it becomes a matter of not completely sure where this is going to go, because like yes. I said, there are areas where there are higher concentrations of legally owned guns, but generally a lot of those people hold more conservative values, and they're not the fastest to act out. Right. I mean, most of the riots and the protests and the things that have turned unpeaceful, and I'm talking about historically, they're often by things that are more radicalized in nature. So this is a tricky thing. Will these people stand against each other or not? I would rather see the population unify yes. and work toward a common goal of good. But we are being divided and we're being polarized against each other by now, separated by demographic and by faction, by powers that are actually working to stir the pot. And honestly, they might state on the outside they don't want to see an insurgency, but they might really like to see that because ultimately they'd probably like to be able to drum up some legal grounds for taking a lot of guns away. Right. There's another area that I want to get into, the church, the apostate church. You know, as you point out, the New Testament calls Jesus Lord many more times than it calls him Savior. You wrote part of chapter 11, We Dare You. What is the dare and how does it impact the church's effectiveness today? And I think that's really a critical issue because if we're going into such tempestuous times, the church needs to be the church that Jesus Christ started, not the apostate church. So tell us about what people are doing in their submission to Lord. They're thinking him more of a savior. He is, but he's also Lord. Exactly. The Jesus that is our Savior from sins, which he is, but this is a politically accepted 
version of Jesus. They like to isolate him to only Savior. He saved you from your sins. He forgives you for all the things you've done wrong. And that's very true. But people end up turning to God in the first place for a reason, and that is the fact that what they were doing didn't work. In our hopelessness, we realize that we can't save ourselves, and we turn to Jesus and ask him to save us. And he does. But that comes with also the fact that we have to accept him as Lord. If we go back to the things we did before we accepted him, that's how we got so broken in the first place. What we were doing didn't work. That's why we turned to Jesus. And in the meantime, when we take him as Lord, we give him that transformative power to step into our lives and rearrange the things we did that weren't working and create a new person inside of us, make us a new person that can live an actual transformed life of victory. This is how we see, unfortunately, a lot of conversions that don't last, because people have, you know, a very emotional experience of taking him as Savior, but when they don't also make him Lord, they end up later on thinking, my life is as defeated and as non-triumphant and as broken as it was before. I guess Christianity didn't work for me, and they walk away, but it's because they only got halfway there. Yes, that's so important. And and your book, you speak about the apostate superchurch, which will be found guilty of twisting the Word of God, but it will be a vicious church, vicious in the sense of going against us, the remnant church made up of Christian disciples who are well-versed enough in the Bible to recognize Antichrist. So, so much of the opposition in the future will be coming, not from the so-called non-believer, but from the apostate super church. The book is titled Dark Covenant, How the Masses Are Being Groomed to Embrace the Unthinkable while the leaders of the organized religion make a deal with the devil. You really need this book. It is, I do want to use this word very carefully, but it is a frightening book because we see it happening now. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, and I think the iceberg is rigged. I think there's a big bomb in it to go boom, so you need to know about this. Allie, wonderful job. Thank you once again. Thank you so much for having me. It's always an honor. I just really appreciate you so much. Greg Patton is here to share another story from Living in Today's World. So mom's visiting at the farmhouse and we're just having a great time. She was telling me that the hearing aid that she had, little thing, fit in her ear. She didn't think it was functioning very well, and the dial didn't seem to be operating. And boy, as soon as I took it, tried to move the dial, it actually fell off in my hands. And I thought, I can fix this. Oh, really? I can fix this? So I took it, and boy, those things are all sealed. A little thing looked like a tiny walnut. And I thought, how do you even get into this thing? I'm looking it all over. I'm figuring out how I could break that seal somehow and to see what's going on inside. I can't imagine some of the stupid things that I have done. Sharon's fixing meal, going to be ready in about an hour, and I thought, I'll I'll get this thing. So I finally got that thing opened up, and my goodness, I had to have a microscope, right? It is so tiny, at least the magnifying glass, those little wires. One of them wasn't where it was supposed to be, and I, I don't know whether... It was like that and came off, or whether when I split it open somehow that I broke it off. All I know is I see where it's supposed to go. 
So I went and got the soldering iron <laughs> and the solder, and I go back in there, and my goodness, underneath the magnifying glass, the soldering iron was bigger than the hearing aid. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this thing. All right, I'm determined. Hour after hour, supper is now passed by three hours, and I'm in there just sweating bullets trying to put this whole thing together. And at some point, the realization of life came in here that ain't no way this thing is going to work. (laughs) And I know I deformed it. I just ruined everything. And I was so frustrated. I just took some super glue, put that thing back together and glued it fast. (laughs) And of all insults, as I picked it up, where we started, that little dial fell right off. I thought, you sucker, I grabbed that thing, put the super glue on it, and stuck that thing on. (laughs) Oh, my, we deceive ourselves and others sometimes, don't we? Go into the living room. Mom says, did you fix it? And I said, I think I got it, Mom. (laughs) So she took it in hand and stuck it into her ear, and I could tell, you know, she isn't hearing anything. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) And so she puts her finger up there to move the dial, you know, to increase the volume or whatever. And she said, well, this dial isn't even moving at all, she said. (laughs) I said, you know what, I think this is probably not going to work out for us. I think we're going to have to get you a new one. (laughs) Why is it when we don't know what we're doing, oftentimes we just go ahead and think that we can do it? Uh, I want you to think about that today. Oh, my poor mom. I got out of that thing, but oh, it was embarrassing to me. And my wife said, you did it again, Greg. I just don't believe this. Such is life, my friend. You can't do everything. And I think the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thy own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. God promises to direct your path, but sometimes we can still do some really dumb things, can't we? There are thousands of stories living in today's world. This has been one. To get a copy of today's program between Dr. Larry Spargimino and Allie Anderson Henson, call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. We heard Dr. Spargimino reference the new book, Dark Covenant, and we have this book available in the Resource Center today. In Dark Covenant, you'll learn the methods by which the puppet masters controlling the public narrative manipulate and shape the masses' worldview. You'll learn how society is being gradually groomed to embrace the unthinkable in preparation for the enforcement of the Mark of the Beast. You'll learn in Dark Covenant what the riots of 2020 were really about, how the body of Christ is being slowly positioned to be considered a public enemy with the Bible labeled as hate speech, and you'll learn how the body of Christ can and will survive the modern assault on Christianity and what true believers can do about it. Get your copy of Dark Covenant for a gift of $20 or more when you call one 800 652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online swrc.com. In addition to the book Dark Covenant, we also have Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis's new book, Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. 
Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism examines what current American leaders like President Joe Biden and his globalist allies intend for America and the world, an outcome that may well usher in the prophetic end times. Get your copy of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism for a gift of $20 or more by calling one 800 652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. We're here on the radio, online, and now podcasting around the world, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. We're able to do this because of your prayers and financial support. When you purchase a book or DVD, when you attend a conference, when you subscribe to our monthly Prophetic Observer, when you invite others to tune in, you are helping us spread the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Thank you. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.